Today's reading is taken from Ephesians 5, verse 22, through to chapter 6, verse 9. Wives, submit yourself to your own husbands, as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the saviour. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing by the watching with water through the word and to present her to him as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason... A man man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. Honour your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favour when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, there is no favouritism with him. This is the word of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I love TV programs that are a bit of a weepy, where there's a documentary where there's people doing good and caring for others. And there's just something about me that loves watching them. I have to watch them on my own because Paul's not quite so keen on them. But this week, there was a classic. DIY SOS, the big build for children in need. And I thought, yes. I'll watch that. So one evening when I was feeling a little bit tired, I I switched on the telly and watched The Big Build. 
And if you don't know the Big Build, this is a group of builders who go to a place where some work needs doing to help some people in need. Normally, it's um, adaptions to a house for somebody who's disabled, and they go and make sure that somebody who's disabled is able to live in comfort in their house. But because this was children in need, it was a huge project. It was a million-pound project. And they went to Swansea in Wales, where a small charity had been set up to look after children in care. So children who were with foster families or were in residential homes could come to this centre for some time out to get to know one another and for mutual support. And the building they had was not much more than a hut, really. And they had grand plans to extend their work further so that they could teach children how to cook. They didn't have a kitchen But they thought, as children in care reach 18 and have to leave home, that's a really difficult transition period for them if they have to leave a foster home or residential care. And many at that point struggle, and a lot end up in the streets or end up in crime. So equipping them was important. So having a really good kitchen where they could learn cooking skills. And they were also wanting to have some studio flats as that first step transition, in a similar way to the way we're supporting the YMCA in Guildford, of that transitional supported accommodation between being in care to going out into the world. So the building was knocked down, and it was rebuilt at a cost of a million pounds, with 800 volunteer workers coming to work, and at the end, everyone's in tears when they see it. You can get the picture. What struck me as I watched this was how often the word family was mentioned. The woman who set up this charity had grown up in care. And she said the most difficult thing for her growing up in care was that she couldn't be with her family. And her experience had been a difficult experience. And she felt she had lost out on being part of family. And she continually talked about these children and helpers who came along as family. She said, we are family. We have become something beyond how we normally distinguish what family is. And we are family. And we want this to be the best place to be family together. And they didn't all live there. They just came in at various points throughout the week. But the emphasis on family was phenomenal. And it made me think about today's passage. Because what she was describing was cutting across the boundaries that we normally put in place when we think of family. Now, in church, it's a little bit easier because we've already talked about family of God and church family. And we've welcomed Sasha. And I said, look, Sasha, this is your extended family. So we already have an idea of what it means to live beyond the boundaries that society might put into place. And we can see that those relationships extend further in God's eyes than perhaps society allows us to see. And it's in that context that this passage appears. So the opening words of the passage on the top of the screen, my heart slightly sank, because when you see them as boldly as that, wives submit to your husbands, we think, right, we're off on a track here. How should wives be behaving at home? And should they be obeying, and what does that look like? And I'm really sorry, but I'm not going to talk about that this morning. (laughs) Good, Esther, thank you. 
Because I don't believe that this passage is primarily about that. Paul is speaking in a society that has got very strong boundaries on where you are. A very strong hierarchical society. Highly stratified, where everybody knows their place. So when we come to the Bible, we need to read it understanding the context in which it is written. Because if we take it purely as the words on the page and don't think about the context in which it is written and what Paul is trying to do, we can go off on tracks that are not always particularly helpful. Paul is writing this to be amazingly radical. We read it as, oh my goodness me, that's really restrictive on how to live because we're living in a different way. In Paul's day, this was radical, controversial, because he was breaking all of society's rules. As I say, the society at the time was very hierarchical. And we looked at this at the very beginning of our series on Ephesians, and I spoke a little bit about that then. Everybody knew their place. And the rules and the law and the custom all fitted in with this sense of a hierarchical society. And it extended into households. So we've moved from, you know, um, the church, and we're now, Paul is looking at households in particular. He's giving some very practical advice to the people in Ephesus, and he's switched now to saying, now, you're all existing in households. Let me tell you about how you live within your household. So the hierarchy that existed was that males were superior to females. That went without question of doubt. That parents were superior to children. And that masters were superior to slaves. And that was written about in the laws and practiced within the custom. And the working out of that extended to the rights that various people had. So women belonged to their husbands, having previously belonged to their fathers. We'd sometimes use the word chattel. Women were seen as property who belonged to their father and that ownership was transferred at marriage to their husband. Now, here's a slight aside. The custom of being given away refers back to that in a wedding, which is really interesting why we still do that. Because it was the transfer from the father to the husband as something that was their property, for want of a better word. Children belonged to their fathers and slaves belonged to their masters, which meant that slaves and children and women had no rights beyond the relationship that they had with the males in their household. So women had no rights which is why divorce was such a big issue. Because on their own, they had no rights at all. Children had no rights. And slaves had no rights. So you begin to see that we're talking about a completely different society. Now, some would say we've gone to the other extreme. But again, I'm not going to enter into a conversation about that. But the society that we live in today is so different to the society that Paul is speaking to that we have to understand what he's saying in that context. 
So that is why what he is saying is radical and controversial and why people would have heard that and been really challenged by what they were hearing. So I want to look at what he's suggesting, but first of all I want us to think about why is Paul being radical? Why on earth is he suggesting a different way of living which has been working well for a very long time? Why is he then saying, actually now, with your new faith, with your new identity as children of Christ, I'm asking you to live within your households in a different way. And we have to remember the word, therefore. If you've been coming along for the last few weeks, you'll have seen that image that we had from the video that gave us a snapshot of the book of Ephesians, where we had the first part of the letter, where we understood who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for us, and the second half that then spoke about what that means in practice in the way that we live. And the word that connected the two halves is therefore. Because of who Jesus is, because of what he has done for us, because of how God sees us, because we live as equals under God, therefore, in your lives, emulate that. Model that. So that when people look at the Christians, they are seeing a demonstration of how God wants us to live with one another. And in God, we are all equal, which means not that we're all the same, but that we have equal value, that we are loved equally, that our identity is precious. And we model that in the way that we live. We are transformed as we receive all that Jesus has done for us. We accept who he is. We follow him as our saviour. We take on the benefits of being in the family of Christ. And therefore, we live that out in the relationships around us. And so it's really important that Paul speaks to the nitty-gritty of what is going on within their households. So he's addressing each member of the household as equals, but with different roles. He's not saying you all look the same. He's recognising that each member of the household has a part to play, but that doesn't mean that they are not of value. They are all equal in value and identity as God sees us. And so therefore the lifestyle that is is lived out demands mutual love and mutual respect. So when he's talking to wives and husbands, he starts with wives. And this wouldn't be a surprise to any of them at all. Wives, submit to your husbands. For the husband is the head of the wife. Submit to him. Wives should submit to their husbands in everything. That's not new. That's what they all knew and what they heard. What is radical is that he then says, but husbands, listen to this. I've got words to say to you. This is the radical thing. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. There's many, many more directions to husbands than there are to the wives. The radical thing is this mutuality. Wives, love and respect your husbands. Husbands, love and respect your wives. That is the radical thing. You're a partnership. You come together 
as equals with different identities and different roles, but you love and respect one another. That is the radical thing. That is not being a piece of property. That is about sharing a relationship and working together and living together in mutual love and respect. It's not radical to us, but it was so radical at the time. Children, again, they've heard all this. Obey your parents. It's one of the commandments, isn't it? They knew that. Honour your father and mother. But fathers, do not exasperate your children. How often do we exasperate our children? Children and parents. Yes, children are children and they need to learn and part of that learning is is discipline and needing to, to obey. But fathers, love and respect your children because you want them to grow up knowing the love of Christ. And that doesn't come through being rude with them, being shouting at them. It comes through them being knowing that they are loved. So a lot of people struggle with understanding the love of Father God if they haven't experienced the love of a father within their own family. So fathers, love your children. It's a huge demand on them. And was radical because until the age of their mid-teens, children had no rights whatsoever. Suddenly their identity and their value is being raised. And then slaves. Obey your earthly masters with respect and fear. Obey them, not only to win their favour, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly. But masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So masters, treat your slaves with love and respect. Care for them. And as Paul speaks to the Christian community, and as they begin to live this out, this would have been radically different. Because as I say, nobody was living like that in Paul's society. They were modelling something of God's way of seeing us, of God's way of asking us to live in relationship with one another. And as we live like that, it reflects the relationship that God has with us. We become family. And in family, we love and respect each other mutually. So yes, we read this, through our eyes, and perhaps sometimes think, I'd rather turn the page on that, because I don't want to struggle with what it's saying. And there is something about how we are with one another that we do learn from here. But the basic, radical thing that Paul is saying is this. You are equal in value and identity under God. Therefore, live like that with one another. A couple of weeks ago, Colin was preaching, and I, I was really challenged by one thing you said, and it stayed with me. A lot. You've challenged by lots of things you said, but one thing in particular. <laughs> you talked about how the church is the place where we can learn and practice how to live with one another in relationship so that we can then model that to the world. And I just find that hugely challenging for what it means and what does that look like. And my, I've still got loads and loads of questions going round. But the idea that we become a place where we model and practice 
how to live in relationship with one another as God wants us to live so that we have something to show to the world. It's just incredibly exciting and hugely challenging all at the same time. Because this passage speaks into that as well. How we live with one another and how we invite others into our fellowship should demonstrate how God sees us. And if we can't get it right in church, we can't get it right in the rest of society. So I do find this challenging. I don't like worrying at night as to whether I'm obeying my husband strongly enough, and maybe he would further I did, but, you know, hey. (laughs) Because we have a mutual relationship and a partnership where we work through the ups and downs together where we long to understand each other and be there for one another. And we don't always get it right, but that's what we're working towards. And I'd rather work at the principles than the, what I think something might be telling me and getting confused with words. But what I see Paul describing is an inclusive, radical fellowship where all have value, regardless of who you are, and where we treat one another with mutual love and respect. And I wonder how we match up with that. Last week, not the week just passed, but the week before, we had an Ofsted inspection at Wanish and Shamley Green School. It's a bit of a shock. We weren't expecting one for another couple of years. And as a result, it was actually quite a a, a difficult process. Um, And there was some really challenging aspects of it, but there's also some really positive aspects of it. And Ofsted inspectors are allowed to approach children and ask them anything because they reckon that adults can give them whatever they think they need to hear, whereas children will tell you the truth. And one thing Ofsted is inspecting at the moment is something called British Values. And British Values has now become part of the curriculum to ensure that we are teaching mutual respect for one another so that we are eliminating this sense of division that we see the result of division in our world. Now, our children don't necessarily see that as British values because we operate with Christian values. And the head teacher did try to explain to one inspector that actually British values have their root in Christian values and that we might not identify them with the same language, but we're discussing the same things. But they were slightly confused with this. So when they asked with some of the children what they understood about race, they said, oh, yeah, we have races around the playground. <laughs> so we were about to get a big cross saying, this school does not encourage Christian values. But luckily, they asked some other questions. And they asked one child about how people were accepted in this school. And the child said, oh, that's really easy. Everyone's welcome here. And that child meant it from their heart. Because they are growing up in an environment where division is not part of who they are and how they live. Everyone is welcome here. And to hear that from a seven-year-old child who means it from the bottom of their heart, actually that child didn't need to know about the language of of race relationships or, or any of other British value language. They know because they learn that under God, every child is precious. Every child is unique. Every child has value. And every child 
an adult is welcome in that school regardless of who they are. And you say, yes. That is what school is about. And that is the privilege of a church school. And that is why it's such a privilege for us to be in partnership with that school. Everyone is welcome here. But could we say the same about our church? Could we really hand on heart say that from the depths of our very being, everyone is welcome here? Wider than our church? Can we say that within the Church of England? Because actually, the figures show that that's not necessarily the case. With our mouths, we can say everyone is welcome here. But actually, we're far more comfortable being with people like us than with people who are not like us. And sometimes we can actually unconsciously be creating barriers that God is saying, I don't want you to have those barriers. Unconscious bias, I think the the term these days is. We live with an unconscious bias in our minds that we often don't even know is there. Because sometimes it's not comfortable to be with people who are not like us. So across the whole of England, in the Church of England, the makeup of our congregations is predominantly white middle class and predominantly over the age of 60. So as we look at that, everyone is welcome here, it doesn't seem to be the case. We slightly go against the the, the figures. But as as a national church... Living as Paul calls us to live, the challenge is how do we take down some of those subconscious barriers and live with love and mutual respect for one another? And how do we model what Colin so beautifully crafted and and explained to us about how we model within our fellowships what we are longing to see in the rest of society? And I haven't got the answers because I think they're huge questions. But I long us to be a fellowship that doesn't just with our mouths say everyone is welcome here, but with our lives, with our behaviour, with the way we treat one another, we are demonstrating that everyone is welcome here. So I leave that as a challenge for us to ponder, because if we're going to take anything from this sermon series, we take with it more questions than we had at the beginning. That's a sign of a good sermon series, that we come to the end thinking, I've got more questions. Because that's when God begins to work, and he begins to speak to us and challenge us and show us what he is saying to us. And if he is saying something to us about how radically different we can be, what will that look like? What will that look like as we make our plans for 2018 as a church? And I find that really exciting because as we listen to him, who knows what he will tell us and what he will show us and what that looks like. And I just want to finish with the final aspect of this passage which talks about slaves and masters because it's really easy to read this and say that doesn't matter anymore. Sadly, this passage worked to justify having slaves for centuries. And William Wilberforce and those who came to abolish slavery in the UK, had to help people see this passage with different eyes. Because as you read it without context, it seems to justify slavery. And of course, we are horrified by that now. 
And we would say, of course, it doesn't justify slavery. And to prove the point, we no longer have slaves. But in the last 10, 20 years, modern-day slavery is becoming a bigger and larger problem in our country than we realize. And again, this is something that has just been, I've been wrestling with through this week as to what does this mean? Through the, in, in my preparation, having looked a little bit more about modern day slavery and now being more aware, can I just leave it at that, that I'm now more aware? And I can tell you that modern day slavery happens in the UK. What is God asking me of that? I don't know. But again, I want to explore with him what does he mean? But human trafficking is alive. And there are many people who are being trafficked into the UK for sexual exploitation, for domestic servitude, for labour exploitation, for forced marriage, for organ harvesting, forced criminality, drug trade, and in other parts of the world, for child soldiers. People are being sold as slaves, but not in the way that we see and was identified in that very upfront way of how a society is fixed. It's undercover and hidden. And yet, in Surrey, there may be hundreds, thousands of people who are tied up, caught up in slavery in one way or another. And that's shocking, isn't it? And I think, as well as recognizing that we live in a different way we also have to ask the question if if that is a reality where is the church's voice where are we speaking out against that where are we getting behind some of the organizations like stop the traffic or another organization a26 i think it's called but finding out where are the charities that are working into this speaking out about it where might i actually be able to write a letter to my mp and speak into this situation? Where do I need to actually be really savvy when I'm going about my my daily life and if there's somebody offering work that is significantly cheaper than another firm, to at least ask the question, might that be because they've actually got some labour that they're not paying for as a result? To at least ask the question rather than assuming it's a company that's just very cheap. I don't know the answers to that question, but I cannot read Ephesians and see what this says about slaves and think, well, of course, that was abolished in the UK in the 1800s. I don't need to worry about that. So I'm afraid I'm leaving you with more questions than you probably had before I stood up. But that's okay, because together God speaks to us all. And I'm only a conduit to what I think he's talking about and wants us to talk about If he is really going to work amongst us, we all take this on board. We pray about it. We pray about our own fellowship and how we're modelling things. We pray about the situation in our country. And we seek God together and say, Lord, what are you asking of us? What are you saying to us? And what might we do in the coming weeks and months? Amen.